Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, February the 12th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm not sure if it's getting myself directly out of bed to get here or the way it was bright when I got out of bed and is now dark or the way that took us like 10 minutes longer than it probably should have to get underway. Everything just is kind of like dragged on a bit and I'm in like a bit of a sleepy loopy headspace. I don't know. Maybe it's just in the air though. How are you? Again, uh, more sunshine this week. So I'm feeling good able to get some frisbee in this weekend um the vibes are high but we're going into at least on on my work side the busiest weekend probably uh that we've ever had oh we'll check in like thirty thousand reservations this weekend yeah 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 across across the continent so uh i'm on call you may get a very different owen next monday <laughs> after after the hours i'll be up uh oh. later this week but for now I'm feeling rested. I'm feeling prepared. Who knows what the story will be in seven days. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. happy to to get on here with you and I'll be looking forward to that again next week. Well, good timing then that the Super Bowl happening this weekend, yep. not next one. Um that I feel like this has just been the tennis and football pod for the last like month or so. Yeah. Uh I, at least half of that, I guess, will probably change after this week. But excited to hear your thoughts on it, especially since I feel like you called it pretty well, like Chiefs bigger in big moments, special teams, the margin that makes a big difference, uh, fumbled punt recovery and a failed extra point conversion give the special teams the edge for the Chiefs to send into overtime. And then with each quarterback getting a shot, Mahomes out duels. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to take a bigger second here to give myself a massive pat on the back i'm pretty sure i went seven for seven in picks from the divisional (laughs) round onwards that's all i have to say yeah i know you got it right the last week i I know i went four for four i'm pretty sure i went four for four in the divisional games don't hold me to it we'll have to check the (laughs) tapes but as the not so expert football expert on the podcast. I am going to absolutely take credit for those picks and uh, once again bathe in the glory of being right yet again. And it okay. I, I don't know if I'm thrilled to be right, but it is so well and established now that we have a player in this league who has ascended beyond again 99% of the people who have ever played football or any other sport for that matter, right? The third Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes, the third Super Bowl MVP in, what, six years he's been in the league so far. What a pace. He's, he's on pace with Brady, who we, not, we didn't think anyone would ever get close, and then yeah. literally five years later, we're already going side by side between the two. And he's unstoppable. He's inevitable. Whatever word you want to use to describe him he's all of that and more and and just continuing to ascend in what he can do on the football field yeah with the new rules of overtime kind of being the big piece of conversation today about the niners choosing to receive 
in any other situation, you always do that in overtime. But now with the new rules that teams get a chance to get the ball, even if the team scores a touchdown first, it just gives you the advantage as the second team. And I'm surprised Mm -hmm. the 49ers went that way. But as soon as they kicked a field goal, you knew the game was over. (laughs) He just, he was going to get whatever points he needed. They had to complete one fourth and one where, uh, Second time that game, they ran that that QB keeper on the option, uh, and he scrambled for a number of yards. And then that final play they drew up for McCole Hardman, they ran almost the exact same thing last year to Kadarius Tony in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. And so just a reliable play. He never really took any negative plays. Uh, had the one interception that maybe was the one blemish the whole evening for him. Uh, and just a, a remarkable player that shone through when the lights were the brightest, the moment counted the most. Uh, and, and there's not much more you can really say about Patrick Mahomes' performance. It was it was simply incredible. Yeah, I feel like I, I threw it on just at the fourth quarter. So I feel like I caught most of the, of the best of it, yeah. uh, even those two drives to get the field goals to even it. Yeah, and full um, transparency, I missed the first half of the game for practice. <laughs> so I tuned in exactly as Usher was wrapping up his halftime show. Uh, I could give it a rating of 7 out of 10. The end of this set was fantastic, where he brought out Lil John, brought out Ludacris, uh, played, played all the hits. But um, I think overall, there were... S- I think there was too much anticipation for this halftime show. If maybe not our demographic, it, it maybe seems not. Like but everyone, I, everyone ha- thought he was going to bring out more heavy hitters, like a Justin Bieber. The Taylor Swift thing was never really on the table, but I think some people yeah. had it in their minds that it was going to happen, and so it almost felt underwhelming when Alicia Keys was up there and Will I Am was up there, even though they're they're two big stars as well. Um, and so it was fine. Didn't bomb, but it's definitely not the better one of the better shows we've seen in Super Bowl history. From there, uh, the game really got good from what I read yeah. and what I heard. I mean, only 13 points in the first half, uh, slow start to the second, and then bit of luck, right? Special teams, that third part of the game couple big moments for the Niners fans that they'll be thinking about today the punt that hit off the foot of one of the Niners players led to a fumble recovery by the Chiefs they score a touchdown on the very next play Niners had a really good drive they started running the ball really effective with McCaffrey mm-hmm. who couldn't get any yards in the first half and then second half arrives and and they were able to get him out into a little bit more space even though the Chiefs were able to get stops when it truly counted. But uh, for the most part, they they started running the ball better and got away from just trying to pass on every down. Um, and then from there, the game really ended up being a lot cleaner. Uh, both teams held on to the football. There was a close call for Purdy um, and, and kind of just went back and forth. And in the end, like we said at the top, in those one possession games, best player in the world is going to come through. So uh, imagine just being a Chiefs fan at this point in time, knowing that you probably still have another 10 to 12 years of this. Man. It's, it is <sighs> the best feeling in sports. They're going to relish this parade on Wednesday. They are going to relish the 
fact that you could pay him any sum of money and it'll be worth it. And overall, this Chiefs seems actually kind of young, especially on the defensive yeah. side and at receiver. And so th- there's a sustainable model here as long as you can find a replacement for Kelsey in one or two years. And then Chris Jones is the other guy who's on the older end of the spectrum. And, and those two guys are massive impact guys. I mean, Chris Jones seemingly has the most important play that doesn't end on a, a stat sheet every game. He breaks yeah. up passes. Josh Allen, he breaks up runs, Lamar Jackson, and then late he was in the face of Brock Purdy when he did have an open receiver near the end zone on on that third down play, and then they had to kick the field goal in overtime. So big shout out to Chris Jones, uh, well deserving, and and this Chiefs team had a had a rocky regular season, but you just can't can't count them out ever, and you gotta you gotta bet on them until they get shocked by a team like Cincinnati. Just seems like they have the capacity to play themselves into it in the last few weeks of the regular season. And then this, like, it didn't seem like just on the stats, they were the better team for the throughout the match, but just choosing the right moments and in a sport with like as little, um, as few of those moments as football, like it really does seem like it can last a while or like it can go quiet two, three years, but like yeah. they don't even need to replace Kelsey with like a tight end. They just need someone who can make a difference in some space yeah. and like have that impact on the game. And it feels very Patriotsy, where they just can plug guys in anywhere. And it was rough for the majority of the season, but uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Nicole Hardman, Noah Gray, guys just coming through in in this big game. And they didn't have to do too much because Mahomes set them up on a platter, but they completed those plays. And that's all you got to ask from them. Yeah, I mean, this Super Bowl is definitely in the top half of Super Bowls ever played. I mean, it's tight. It went to overtime. That's all you can ask in this type of game. Definitely kept it exciting. Probably not as many points as the casual fan would have liked. But, I mean, that's what you're you're asking for when these two types of teams go together. Uh, Saw fantastic clips from the Nickelodeon broadcast. SpongeBob called out Leonardo DiCaprio for his dating history, which was insane. Uh, we got Dora doing rules on penalties. It was it was a good one. And then a uh, couple of, of solid commercials. I think I got to go with the, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial as my personal favorite. Haven't seen yet all of them. Still kind of scrolling through those today mm. in the aftermath because uh, we don't get the American three. ones. Yes. Yes. I mean, we've been Deadpool fired up Wolverine. about this for two years. It's the only good thing that's coming out in 2024. So. Like on the Disney Marvel end or period? Just period. Every 2025 is the year for everything. So Deadpool's gotta gotta get us through to that. Any final thoughts on the Super Bowl? GG. Looking forward to it again next year. Um, nice calls on throughout the season. You called the 49ers making it pretty early in. Had a pretty nice track record throughout the playoffs, even if it wasn't as flawless as you remember. I can't comment one way or the other. I think the, the wild card round is I had a couple misses, but I feel pretty confident after that. I don't remember. I, I just know two weeks ago you got it. I don't remember the week before that, but 
anyway, it, it's been fun hearing about the football and looking forward to it again next year. Yep. So we say so long to the football fan cave here uh, for a bit, unless we we talk some English or, or worldwide football, not American football. And we'll we'll jump here into another worldwide sport with some tennis talk. Yeah, we've pre-Sunshine Double, the pace of both tours starting to pick up uh, quite a lot after the lull off the Australian Open. So a couple tournaments going on I want to talk about today. First and foremost, the ATP Rotterdam 500. It's a really nice digestible size of tournament with like a much higher quality of player and that has me really excited for this week just five rounds and 32 players no buys seven players in the top 20 filling up those eight quarter finalists and the eighth pretty hot at the moment and and headlined all by yannick sinner winner of the australia and open and you can make a really strong case the best tennis player in the world in terms of total record post us open i think he's 19 and 20 or 20 and 21 in that time losing just the match to novak djokovic at the atp world finals um when you look at the points in the rankings right now we talked about this last week just how the top four players are on another level from the rest so this is a chance for sinner with none of those other three top four players competed in rotterdam to just put some punctuation and emphasis of that um, but it's still a nice competitive rest of the class with andre rublev on the bottom half of the second seed as well as top 10 players holger rune and hubert herkatch competing rune with some a bit of a lull momentum but hubert's been firing nicely recently and then rounding out the uh other top eight seeds alex dimonar definitely been hot gregor dimitrov uh, had a run to the semis or finals in marseille last week uh, after winning a tour to start the year Hugo Humbert won in the finals in France this past week. And then Alexander Bublik, who's the only non-top 20 of those players, uh, but still just won the week before. Bit of an interesting tournament as well to watch in terms of CanCon. Milos Raonic winning his first round match today. Denis Shapovalov competing after getting through the first two qualifiers. Uh, oh, he's faced Hugo Gastel three times in the last three weeks. Uh, he takes the chances? rubber match today or a couple days ago in the finals. And then Felix Auger Aliassime looks like he's in the middle of a tiebreak for the second set against Maxime Cressy after winning the first set. So three of 32 with uh, one and a half players advancing so far. And you hope for Chapeau that those quality wins maybe get a bit more of the experience and feeling and sensation of playing and winning tennis matches back and give him a little momentum boosting into the week. He'll face Gael Monfi tomorrow, though he would face uh, Yen sinner in the second round if he were to make it so definitely eyes on that um should be in just high level tennis and in like a smaller group lets you keep your eyes on all of it a little more when it's only a fourth as many players as a grand slam uh, 
At the 250 level, Carlos Alcaraz is going to be competing in South America for the little golden swing as it goes on. Um, usually like a high scattering of um, South American players and then a couple of Europeans who like the clay will come over. So uh, Cam Norrie, who he's kind of had a bit of a back and forth rivalry. They've met in a lot of the finals of these events, being the two highest seeded players who like to compete in them is on the opposite side in Buenos Aires. I think Alcaraz beat Nori in Rio two years ago, and then Nori beat an injured Alcaraz in Rio last year. Uh, that's a 500-level event that the 16 or 250-level will lead up to. So yeah, uh, chance for Alcaraz to build some momentum in his own space heading into the Golden Sunshine Double as well. Then on the women's side, um, thousand level masters event going on in Doha this week after Elena Rybakina wins the 500 level one. Uh, joining her from the top four will be world number one Iga Sviatek and Coco Goff as well. So most of the best players, uh, save Sabalenka competing in this event uh, so should be top level competition Rybakina looking to have played herself a bit back into form Iga picking up a like 6-1 6-1 or maybe there was a bagel in their win today uh, so really hoping to see those three players firing on all cylinders and meeting towards the end um, Naomi Osaka gets revenge over Caroline Garcia from the Australian Open winning her first round match Leila Annie Fernandez winning her first round match as well. So yeah, plenty of tennis to keep the eyes on this week and looking forward to seeing how that shapes out and talking about it next week. Fantastic stuff. Uh, we'll have more bandwidth here for tennis as we move along, but... Now, we'll turn our attention to another sport that is going to get more of the limelight now that football season is done uh, with a ill-timed trade deadline this past <laughs> week. The NBA has some winners and losers that I'd love to go through that got a bit overshadowed by all of the Super Bowl media, and now they will get to shine this week with All-Star Weekend coming up in a couple of days. I've got to say, I didn't even know the trade deadline was approaching, and half of these trades you've got listed i didn't even hear about yeah so i i think that feeds nicely into my first loser of the trade deadline which is the fans <laughs> because typically we get one kind of jaw dropping trade that shakes the landscape i mean we got the kd trade last year which was wow that was only a year ago right that was that was the big one but i think it it just didn't have the same pop this year probably the biggest name on the move is gordon hayward and we'll get there in a sec but i mean that would have been big eight years ago <laughs> so that's that's really the first point here when the NBA in its culture has has definitely leaned on those who like the sport and those who like the transaction of it, 
right? And and all mm-hmm. the storylines of free agency and potential trades. And it's always, oh, well, what's the next super team? Where's this guy going next? And so with a lot of anticipation for this week, there wasn't a ton of movement. Some of the trades obviously made before the trade deadline, but um, still some morsels for us to talk about in here. And kick it off with a couple of winners here in the Eastern Conference. The New York Knicks made a couple of savvy moves to bolster out their roster. Obviously, they're going to miss Julius Randle for a couple more weeks. And so they go ahead and add Bojan Bogdanovic from the Detroit Pistons, who everyone thought was getting moved last year. They inexplicably held on to him, uh, but now they give him up here for for Quentin Grimes and the pick going the other way from the Knicks. And this dude is is a great pickup for New York, right? Uh, was a key contributor on those Utah Jazz teams uh, with Ingles and with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as a tertiary scorer, as a tertiary ball distributor and playmaker, um, but could consistently carry you five minutes at a time, night in, night out, when you needed a couple of buckets created against there's a mismatch on a on a team's weaker wing, right? Uh, or he has a size mismatch against the guard on a switch. Um, he's he's a guy who makes a lot of right reads and does a lot of the little things right, and will be a suitable replacement to throw in the starting line up here while Julius Randle's out. And then is is such a great fit on a lot of teams that he'll be able to come off the bench and give them mm-hmm. solid minutes as well. So. Uh, notably, uh, mentioned by Bill Simmons on his podcast, has some great statistics and great performances against the Boston Celtics. And mm-hmm. if you are the Knicks, right, you're starting to peek at, okay, what's the ceiling of our team? Defensively, I, they can hang right now with Philadelphia, with Milwaukee, with Cleveland, who are the other three teams in the in the top five but you set your sights towards Boston, right? That's the watermark of the league this year. They've been far and away the best team statistically, although it's been a little bit rougher the last couple of weeks, but that's the team you want to beat. And so you probably want to stock up with guys that play well against this team or have had historical success. Uh, And so that's what they do with Bogdanovich. And then they also go out and get Alec Burks, who has never had that breakout moment that, a lot of people expected him to have throughout the years, but another guy that just on a certain night might give you 14, 15 off the bench in eight minutes and flip a game or flip the tide of a game. And so nice to have that option for a pretty cheap price. And I just like what they've done, adding complimentary pieces now to Ananobi uh, as, as their big kind of center trade uh, this season. Feels like a really good, really deep, really complete team. It's just like can, can Jalen Bruns, like that's the yeah. guy I look to. Like, can he just yeah. continue? Like, I know he can take over one playoff game. Can he take over multiple playoff series? Because I think that's, focal point. Yeah. that's the last thing this team needs to really make a deep run. Will be really fun to find out. And then speaking of the Celtics. Nothing substantial from here, but they do go out and get Horford and Porzingis insurance by acquiring Xavier Tillman from the Memphis Grizzlies. A smaller note transaction, but when it's a team as successful as Boston, uh, bringing in a guy like Tillman who is young but so mature, uh, was drafted as an older rookie, 
has a full family, right? And and just a, is a consummate professional in everything that I've seen and heard across the league. So he'll step in there to the culture, fit right in. Guys will like him. He won't rock the boat. Uh, and and we'll give them solid minutes in the time where he's needed because he's definitely an upgrade over Luke Cornett on that roster. And so again, the insurance uh, with Porzingis and and Horford, he can space the floor from the corner, not necessarily a, a high arc spacer, um, which could change some of the geometry there for Boston. But I know that they'll be able to find ways to incorporate him in their offense. The losers on the other side here, uh, the Sixers and the Bucks, just because of those moves made by the the Celtics and the Knicks, uh, the Bucks get Patrick Beverly, which was reported by him before Woj and Shams. A uh, funny little moment there, Pat Bev, always at the center of attention. Sometimes Woj knows before the players, so it's <laughs> yeah. kind of a win for him. Yep, definitely. Uh, should be interesting there. I I guess with Lillard not being the best defender, you need someone to defend other teams' guards, but it's a really small backcourt if both of those guys are playing at the same time. So, Yeah, you can't imagine too much of that, and then it makes it a bit redundant. But Yeah, so maybe a guy to just throw and like be your foul merchant um, in the playoffs. Yeah. And then on the other side, a move that would be fantastic if Embiid was currently healthy, the Buddy Heald trade for Philadelphia was a nice pickup he's a perfect floor spacer uh to go with the rest of this team right just i think he's the best shooter by percentage in nba history so far to this point Man. um just a lights out knockdown shooter um and and i think will be a great fit to their team it, it i can't even call them a loser because the outcome of this trade is purely dependent on what time and beats back this year so yeah. we'll leave it as as uh not complete. I had initially called the Dallas Mavericks losers with the acquisitions mm. of PJ Washington and Daniel Gafford. Um, just, I don't know if that elevates their ceiling any more than it is. I don't think Gafford was an upgrade over Derek Lively. I don't think he was an upgrade over Dwight Powell. Uh, PJ Washington, fun, exciting young talent, but there's a reason why he never fully blossomed in Charlotte. Uh, there's definitely some attitude and off court stuff there. And then, yeah, never really managed to find a rhythm, but that's also the Charlotte Hornets, and he's not playing with Luka Doncic, and yeah. we see that in the first game. They obliterate OKC in this in this first tilt with both of those guys, and Gafford is really good at doing two things, protecting the paint and being a vertical lob threat, and Luka can make any sort of pass to the rim. I mean, the one where he was almost 35 feet away from the basket, just overhand pass to PJ Washington, who is running off a back screen. Just he's, he's a special talent and he's going to make those two guys better. And so uh, it was, a, it was a steep price for the Mavericks to pay, which is why I had them losers on paper, but I might have to change that as we, uh, as I get a little bit more data here on those games. There is a feeling and theory along among a lot of Maverick fans that if this team just had competent role players to like do the basic things your team should be able to do in basketball they luca would be carrying them everywhere they go on his back and that he has just been making do with what he has as the team has mismanaged and depleted itself mm -hmm. over years 
so with that in mind, like these guys who just have the right size for their position and can do the most basic things, uh, give that theory a little bit of a chance to be tested. Yes, I guess we'll find out if that ends up being the case. They beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were also involved at the trade deadline, not as a significant move as people thought they might make, uh, but the rationale here is seeing if they can upgrade either a role position or a, or a closing lineup as they go out and get Gordon Hayward, who is a fantastic veteran player, very similar to Bogdanovich in that he can be uh, primary, secondary, tertiary scorer and playmaker, a really good connector. It's it's the injuries that have really hurt him his entire career, and I just don't know if he can give them. He's I don't expect him to play more than twenty minutes a night. That would be asking a lot. So it's can he get into that rhythm of of maybe seventy five percent of his all star self and and be a competent shooter when he's wide open and make the right reads because right now he would be in line to take the gosh the gosh josh giddy role in this closing five right if you've got shay uh lou dort jay will and and chet as your other four right gordon hayward's a nice little upgrade over giddy but uh, again injuries and we'll see if he fits into it uh he raises the average age of this okc team significantly <laughs> They, they didn't pay too much, though, did they? I can't no, remember. They, they did give up uh, Aaron Wiggins, though, who was a player that I liked. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and one of their 18 million picks. But Yeah, so it, it's at the point where you can burn a little it's, of that. It's a pretty low-risk move yeah. that, that uh, might hurt them I, if he gets injured, but the I'd upside like, is like, there. Yeah, low-risk, high-reward. Like It's a bet you can take and not feel too bad about if it doesn't pan out. Other moves uh, here, the smaller peripheral moves, the Phoenix Suns trade away one of their better shooters in Utah Watanabe, seemingly to upgrade here with Royce O'Neal. KD bringing over O'Neal from his time in Brooklyn, obviously liked what he provided, and I'd imagine he had some say in this deal. Uh, Royce, solid 3 and D guy. He's getting a little bit up there in terms of his career now, and I don't know if he's as quick and able to stay in front of a Kawhi Leonard, a Paul George, a Luka Doncic, right? That's Those are the guys he's going to be tasked with guarding. Brandon hmm. Ingram, uh, maybe De'Aaron Fox, right? It, Anthony Edwards. There's some really tough names on that Man. list in the West to guard. So uh, if he's, I, I feel sorry for him, but this is the role that he's been tasked with. And so... Uh, we'll see if he's up to the challenge, but that's that's their move kind of to, to finalize their roster. And then the Warriors, the Lakers, the Cavs, the Nuggets all stand pat uh, as other kind of contender-ish teams that are in the mix. The Warriors have looked really good in the last yeah. couple weeks or so. First in offense, fourth in defense, Steph hitting that ridiculous buzzer beating no game when it yeah that was my mom and i were watching it live and and the sound that she let out when he hit that <laughs> shot it was hilarious oh just yeah incredible vintage steph stuff really fun game mm -hmm. draymond celebrating right in uh katie's oh, face was just priceless content um yeah so they're definitely in the mix but didn't think they could really upgrade on what they have this year same with the Lakers, wasn't something out there. 
clock's ticking on LeBron. Could we get a yeah. LeBron free agency frenzy? Ooh. Oh, <laughs> that's man. that's what everyone was hanging on to at the end of this yeah. trade deadline when we didn't get a big move. Uh, and then I guess the last one here to talk about the Timberwolves, mostly Stan Pat. They do grab Monty Morris from the uh, Pistons. I don't even know if that's necessarily an upgrade over Jordan McLaughlin, but that would be the the upgrade that they're looking to make. Maybe a, a quicker, more competent decision maker as the backup point guard. Uh, maybe a little bit of Mike Conley insurance in case he starts to break down uh, towards the end of the season into the playoffs. But uh, Monty was is a guy who played with Jokic and never truly stood out. So I don't know what that says when you play with a guy like Jokic. But um, yeah, very competent player. He's not going to lower your floor or necessarily raise your ceiling um so not much more to be said on that note uh but this is it rosters are set might be a couple more bio guys here um one of those being spencer dinwiddie heading to the lakers after being bought out by the raptors a couple of really bizarre deals by toronto what that the, like, like so the michael grange tweet, yeah the michael grange tweet is that they're trying to build a culture of guys who want to be in toronto so essentially just building team canada as they go get kelly olenic uh to now pair with uh barrett and boucher um we could see Corey joseph on his way a guy who got potentially bought out by indiana uh and I don't, I don't I don't really know what they're doing. Giving up another pick is really weird with the current yeah. timeline that they're on. But the player I do love in that trade is Oche Agbaji, um, who played on that Kansas team that won a title with Grady Dick. And a guy that can space it, pretty athletic, guard your twos and threes competently. Um, so he's going to get plenty of run and opportunity to improve. Uh, and and there's definitely a lot of competition now at that two guard spot with Barrett and Trent and and Agbaji. So mm. fascinated to see what they do with that. <clears throat> it feels like the Raptors have now gone from a bunch of long guys who didn't really have a position to a pretty concrete set of roles and players. But it's I just don't see how it all fits together. Still, I don't see the no. vision yet. I'd love for Masai to explain the vision. <laughs> Because uh, right now it's just a hubbub of players that are going to do a whole bunch of losing here for the next two months. Yeah, it, it like you go back ten years ago or whatever when tank for Wiggins, tank for Wiggins, tank for Wiggins, and then this team just got really good out of nowhere and slowly got tuned up and improved and modified from there. Um, it's really hard to start from nothing and get something. And that feels like the first stumbling block. Was there some backdoor compensation in the Dinwiddie thing? Like, did they trade for him just to waive him? I, that was another thing that had me scratching my head a little. You Any other thoughts either. on the trade trade deadline? Not like I said, it was, I missed most of it. Like the, it, the Hayward one was the one that made me realize it was going on, but I genuinely can't remember the last time I saw a Gordon Hayward headline or highlight. Uh, so even that one didn't move it too much, not too much to say. So we'll put a bow on that. And with just over a minute left in the pod, I'll take 30 seconds to chat about the incident with the Sens and the Leafs the other night. 
Ridley Grieg rips a slapper into the empty net uh, to put the Senators up 5-3 and, and win that game. The Leafs just cannot beat Ottawa, no matter how bad that yeah. team is. It's it's just not going to happen. And Morgan Riley takes offense, as one does, according to the written rules of hockey, just like we talk about in other sports. And I have no problem with setting a tone, and I have no problem with the frustration, right? It's a deeply ingrained piece of culture. I just have a problem with where he cross-checked him. Yeah. <laughs> That's essentially where it ends up, and that might be a bit of a crappy take, on my part I, to I think go pro violence but, but like just don't cross check the guy in the head you can shove him you can get in his face you can talk to him and now he's gonna miss at least six games i think with a suspension yeah. and really hurt a team that is only on that playoff bubble don't cross check people in the back of the head that's it good night sports next door signing out you get to the station there's this crazy sound hey man this ain't no fishing town and that ain't all, and they're all